Welcome to our third installment of Praying Men of the Bible. Um, as we started last week, we did a walkthrough overview of the Old Testament. It's impossible to cover every uh, man in the Old Testament, especially those who prayed. Uh, it would probably take a whole year or maybe two to really do an in-depth study. And as I was preparing for tonight, uh, started several weeks ago leading up to tonight, and looking ahead, I realized that these 25-minute segments really don't do justice because what I want to do is dig into the life of everything going on in each of these men. But we don't have the time to do that. That's why the Lord is so gracious and he said, focus on their prayer life. So that's all I'm focusing on. I'm going to give you some context. I'm going to give you some background. But then we're going to focus on their prayer life and how that applies to our life today. So we're on number three, Abraham, the man of prayer. And let me just say this to our ladies who are watching and here tonight, that this is in no way a chauvinistic approach to the Old Testament. There were certainly women of prayer. In fact, I'm thinking of doing a series on women of prayer in the Old Testament, and also a series on men of prayer and women of prayer in the New Testament. So that is in the kitchen, in the pot cooking. And I uh, just wanted you to know, ladies, I'm not leaving you out. This, we just got to start somewhere. And so this was uh, readily available uh, information. So I hope that you are not feeling slighted by our focus on men of the Old Testament. But I know that everything we learn from uh, the men and women of history in the Bible, uh, we all benefit from. So I'm thankful for that tonight. But we're going to take a little... Uh, look at Abraham's life tonight, and then we're going to drill down concerning his prayer life. I love Reverend Homer W. Hodge, minister from another century ago, his quote here. Listen to it carefully because it's not written how we read or talk today, but it's so rich. Oh, for determined men and women who will rise early and really burn out for God. Oh, for a faith that will sweep into heaven with the early dawning of the morning and have ships from a shoreless sea loaded in the soul's harbor ere the ordinary laborer has knocked the dew from his scythe or the huckster has turned from his pallet of straw to spread nature's treasures of fruit before the early buyers. What is he saying? He's saying, get up early. Let your focus be with the Lord early and there you'll find treasure. There you'll find something worth having and seeing and making a part of your life. And I believe that Abraham understood that principle because as we go through his life tonight, even though briefly, um, even though uh, systematically, we'll find that he pursued the Lord. He pursued him first. He thanked him first. He worshiped him first. It was all about his relationship with the Lord. And as you see there in your notes, the scripture is found in the book of Genesis chapters 11 through 25. No, we're not going to read all 14 chapters, 15 chapters tonight. We don't have time for that. But I would encourage you to read the life of Abraham. And I'll never forget Pastor Stephen's friend, Terry Wasden, um, who just recently passed away, he said something so profound that he learned to do in seminary. He said, when I study a character, I'll read the story 30 to 40 times before I even start to take notes. 
just to have my mind wrapped around what this person is doing, what encounters they're having with God and how the Lord is using them. And so I think it would be a good idea for us. I'm not telling you to go home for homework and do that. But I think it's a good idea for us to study the men and women of the scripture and and read their stories as a whole so that you get the full context of their life and you're not just getting a soundbite or a clip here and there and you can see how God works and moves. But the central truth for tonight's lesson is that worship and prayer were at the core of Abraham's life and they were his first and regular response to the Lord's directions and commands. Worship and prayer were at the core of Abraham's life and they were his first and regular response to the Lord's direction and commands. Oh, that we could live like that. So who was Abram? Well, Abram, as you know, later name was changed to Abraham uh, in I think chapter 17, verse five. Um, So you're going to see the shift as we go through the notes from Abram to Abraham. But you've got to start with Abram. Abram was the son of Terah, who was from the family line of Shem through Noah. So if you're going back through your chronology and your history of descendants in the Old Testament, um, Abraham came through the line of Shem through Noah. And number two, he was called by God. We see this there in your notes in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Underline, I will bless you if you have notes here tonight or if you're watching online. And then it says, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Underline that. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. You see, not only was Abraham the subject of blessing by the father, but he was the medium through which all of the world would be blessed, including you and I. Because of Abraham's obedience, because of the call of God on his life, He formed the nation of Israel. Out of him came Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see that all throughout the scripture. And in the next section, we'll be talking about Moses. Moses, a lot of his things were derived from Abraham's worship to God. And we'll see that very clearly. But I'm so glad it didn't stop with the Hebrew nation or the nation of Israel or the people of God in Israel. He was a blessing to all of us. That's why he's not only called the man of prayer, but he was called the friend of God and the father of the faithful. Isaiah 41.8 says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendants of Abraham, my friend. He was a friend of God. Even Isaiah the prophet noted that. And then in Romans 4.16, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. The writer of Romans right there, Paul writing the letter to the Roman church is saying, 
It's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well. So we have that blessing from Abraham if we have the same faith that Abraham did. So that's a little bit about who Abram was. What did Abram do? Number one, he heard the voice of the Lord. He obeyed the Lord and the Lord blessed him. Now, I know that sounds so very simple. But if we could just learn to hear the voice of the Lord and then obey it, we would get blessing after blessing after blessing. Because the Lord is not trying to send us on a wild goose chase. He's not trying to confuse us. He is only trying to give us clear direction so that knowing if we follow it, we will have not only his approval, but his blessing. And when his blessing comes forth, what does that do? It allows other people to see that there is a God who will do the same for them. Because not only does he love those who he has called, he loves those who are far from him. And he has a design and plan for their lives if they will learn to hear his voice, heed it by following in obedience, and the result will be blessing in their lives and the lives of those they touch. So not only did Abram hear the voice of the Lord, he obeyed the Lord and the Lord blessed him. But number two, he built altars of worship and prayer to God. We see the four altars. I don't have this in your notes, but you can jot this down. We see the four altars there. An altar of praise in chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. We see an altar of prayer in chapter 12, verses 8 through 13. We see an altar of peace, chapter 13, verses 14 to 18. And we see an altar of provision, chapter 22, verses 9 to 14. That's a sermon in itself, and I'm working on that one too, okay? But I won't preach that tonight. But I just want you to know there were four main altars that Abraham built and erected to the Lord to give him worship. They were, for, they were an altar of praise, an altar of prayer, an altar of peace, and an altar of provision. And then what did Abram do? Number three, he spoke to God directly. We'll see this very clearly as we move uh, to this next section of our notes. How was prayer a priority of Abraham's life? Number one, he interceded for his nephew Lot and the city of Sodom. Now, Abraham, after his father had died, set out to kind of follow the Lord's command. And he took Lot with him. And we know that they parted ways because they were both being blessed so much. And they, the, the land couldn't hold them all. And, and everybody else, it was sharing the land. So Abraham said, Lot, you choose first. If, if you want to go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you want to go to the right, I'll go to the left. That was pretty simple. And I love how Abraham did that. He didn't jockey for position to get the best because he knew God's faithfulness. He just said, whatever you take, I'll get the other and I know we'll be blessed because God's with me. It doesn't matter where I'm at. May we have that same attitude. We don't have to jockey and manipulate life to get stuff out of it. If we'll just follow the Lord and trust him, he'll give us everything we need and everything he wants us to get out of this life. Because sometimes I think we get ourselves in trouble because we, we pursue things that God never intended for us. And that creates burdens then that he never intended us to carry. So I just want to encourage you in that. And I'm preaching to me too. Me too. All right. So he interceded for his nephew Lot and for the city of Sodom. 
um, Genesis 18, 16 to 33. I just want to read this passage to you. This is where we see the man of prayer as intercessor. And these characteristics we'll also see in Moses' life, but this is kind of where the first intercessory prayer started. Verse 16, when the men got up to leave, these were the men who were angelic hosts who had come to visit Abraham and Sarah and tell them, you're going to have a baby boy and his name's going to be Isaac. And that's when Sarah laughed and said, no way. And Abraham said, no way, we're too old. And um, so they, they had this conversation and they get up to leave. They look down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Verse 17, then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? I love that. There's, there is definite relationship here between the God of the universe and Abraham because God's saying, should I keep from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Verse 20, then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Verse 22, the men turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. We believe that one of these angelic men was a theophany or God in the flesh in that moment. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham didn't just know God. He began to know his ways and his heart. And he's like, Lord, this is not your character to just... Go and wipe everybody out. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. I love that. He knew his place. This was a thin line. He was friends with God. He spoke with him directly, but he knew that he had to be reverent. He knew that he had to be honoring to the Lord most high. And he says, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50 or 45? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? And if I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. So this is Abraham and God going back and forth about the city of Sodom, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Once he spoke to him, what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. I don't know what's going on in Moses' heart. I don't know what God is up to in this moment. But it seems to me that Moses might have been, this is not in the scripture, this is conjecture. But it seems to me that Moses is probably calculating in his head. I'm not sure there are. 
45 righteous people in the city. Lord, would, would you take 30? And he's like, you know, I, I'm not even sure there are 30. And so we see this negotiation back and forth. And God is so compassionate, so compassionate because he answers him right away. He doesn't say, well, let me think about it. Well, if you perform like a circus monkey, maybe I'll do something for you. No, they have a relationship. And he said, for the sake, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I'll not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord be not, not angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And I wonder, again, this is not in the, the scripture, but I wonder if Abraham was counting Lot and his family and saying, I think there's about 10 in their household. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Prayer was a priority in Abraham's life. Why? Because he had spent so much time in the Lord's presence that he had made a relationship with him. There was a friendship there. They could talk to one another. And even he felt the ability to negotiate with the God of the universe. We also see number two in your notes that he prayed for Abimelech and the Lord healed him and his household. In Genesis 20, Abraham had moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar and there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Now this isn't the first time he's done this. This is the second, maybe third time he's done this. He's already done this with Pharaoh and he's always trying to save his hide. And I'm like, come on, dude, just learn, just learn. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister, which was technically true. And didn't she also say he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Uh, in Pastor Chitty's revised version, you've heard him say this. He said, that's why you're not a grease spot on the ground because you, you, you haven't done anything wrong. Now return the man's wife for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from the, my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. 
To Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Wow, how was prayer a priority in Abraham's life? Well, he interceded for his nephew Lot in Sodom. He prayed for Abimelech and the Lord healed him and his household. And then number three, wherever Abraham went, prayer was his inseparable companion. Because even think about in Genesis 17, 18, even Ishmael's destiny is shaped by Abraham's prayer when he prayed, oh, that Ishmael might live under your blessing. So his first response at at any turn was to pray and to cry out to God. That's why prayer was such a priority in Abraham's life. We see that very clearly in scripture. So as we wrap up this section on Abraham, and I know it's short and there's so much more about his life, but what are some Christian life lessons we can learn and apply to our own lives? Number one, as God's revelations become more clear and complete, our prayerfulness and faith should increase. I think there is some kind of mindset in the church that says one day I'm going to be so spiritually mature that I have arrived and I no longer need to do what I first did. I no longer need to pray. I no longer need to study. I no longer need to be in the Lord's presence. And that is a subtle deception and lie of the enemy. That is exactly what the devil wants you and I to do. And that is exactly the opposite of what God wants us to do in pursuing him. Uh, Can I just say that the more close we get to the Lord, the more we realize we need him and the more we desire to be with him and in his presence. Can I tell you at almost age 49 that I'm looking more forward to heaven now than I ever have? And it's not because I'm closer in age. It's because I'm understanding that one day I'm going to be with the one who created me for eternity. And I no longer have to be separated from him by time or distance or sin or lack. But he will be mine and I will be his and his banner over me will be love. And that same truth is for each and every one of you. So don't fall into the trap that, well, I've done my time or I I used to fast and pray when I was younger or no, we should pursue him more. The more clear and complete God's revelation becomes, the more our faith and our prayerfulness should increase. Even look at Paul's life. Early Paul, well, I'm of this household and I'm a Jew and I'm this and that and a Roman citizen. That was early Paul. What did later Paul say? Older Paul, I'm the chiefest of all sinners. He knew his need for God. So it played out even in the New Testament in Paul's life. Most people grow old in their faith. And can I just say not just old, but cold. Most people grow cold or old in their faith and become lazy in their pursuit of God. I've been there. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm, I've been there, okay? Most of us have become lazy in their pursuit of God. This is opposite 
to the behavior we should exhibit as his sons and daughters. He wants a heart that pursues and runs after him. And I I tell you, the more revelation I'm starting to understand, I don't understand it all, but the more revelation that God gives, the more I want to spend time with him so that I can understand even more. And I want that for each one of you. Number two, a life of prayerfulness is one that is full of testing, blessing, and covenant with God. So if you have a life of prayerfulness, if I live a life of prayerfulness, there will be testing, blessing, and covenant with God. But all of it is for his purposes to be accomplished in our lives. It's for his best to be seen and experienced and known and shared with others so that they can know the same for themselves. And the opposite is very true as well. Number three, a life of prayerlessness, prayerlessness is one of confusion, misery, and defeat. Many times I'll talk to people, and I'm sorry, you're the ones I talk to. I don't have five other churches to say, well, when I was at this church, I talked to this person. No, it was you. I talked to you, okay? But when I talk to the people of God at times, I can tell if they've been praying or not. And that's not for you to go, oh, I gotta be careful what I say around Pastor Justin. No, we all have seasons of prayerlessness and prayerfulness. But I can really tell by your attitude. I can tell by what's important to you, what you've prioritized. If you've been in the Lord's presence, you just know. Because when you've been with Jesus, you shine his glory and his life and his character. When you haven't been with Jesus, you look a lot like you. And I look a lot like me. And we need to look more like Jesus. So I want to encourage you in that. And and let me say this, Abraham's imperfect faith did not shake the promises of God. I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, those of you watching online, you don't have to have perfect faith for the promises of God to come true because he will finish what he starts. He is faithful. He is faithful. There was one other thing I wanted to share, and I I can't seem to find it. Here it is. I love this. This is in conclusion tonight. It is no wonder, under God, Abraham became the founder of a nation, the friend of God, the father of the faithful, and the fount of blessing to a lost world. He was truly a patriarch, a prophet, a prince, and a pilgrim. Oh, that we can learn from his example today and in the days to come. Father, would you give us a passion to pursue you? Don't let us get too big for our britches and think we've arrived. But Lord, may we continually pursue your presence, spend time in your word, cry out to you, talk to you, become your friend, and allow you to speak your life and your purposes into us so that we please you in all things. We love you, Lord. We want to be like Abraham. Would you help us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.